everyone, my name is Sylvia Gorajek and this is Valley Talks. Today my guest is Lisa Fetterman, CEO of Nomiku. Nomiku is a precise temperature cooking machine that is conquering the world. It succeeded massively in two Kickstarter campaigns. Hello Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. Tell us about the awesomeness of Nomiku. Well, Namiku is the first ever home sous vide immersion circulator. And that just means that it cooks food at a very precise temperature. Every single top restaurant in the world uses this technology and we are bringing it into homes. So you cook in a water bath? That's right. So what our machine is that it clips onto a pot or a vessel that you already own. You put your food inside of a bag, put it in the water and then walk away. When you come back, you have a perfectly cooked meal. And you always have to put it in a bag or can you put it just like that on a, in a pot? It depends on what you're cooking. So for most things, yes, a, a zip bag would be optimal. But if you're just cooking eggs, they can stay in their own shells. So the idea how you came about um, to it is pretty incredible. Tell us about the story. Well, thank you. Uh, my background is that I worked for the most elite restaurants in the world, Jean-Georges, Babo, and I saw this huge hulking piece of laboratory equipment everywhere that I went that was in fine dining. Became obsessed. And then I met my husband at the gym. Uh, it was our first date. He has his PhD in plasma physics, which, uh, which is a really elite technology where they do nuclear fusion. Less than 10 people graduate from his school a year, Princeton a year, for plasma physics. So I was like, what am I even gonna talk about? We talked about food, and I told him I was obsessed with this emergency circulator. He was like, hmm, okay, let's build one. He wanted to impress you. Yeah, <laughs> it worked. Okay. Yeah, and that's, and that's what happened. He made me a prototype. We um, created more at Hackerspaces. Eventually we made DIY open source sous vide kits. We traveled all across the United States. We amassed this huge list of people who wanted Namiku. Well, at the time it was, you know, they wanted something that they could plug into the wall. So we went to China, created it, and then came back one week before our wedding. We begged our wedding videographers, please, can you help us make a Kickstarter video? We put it up on Kickstarter and became the number one most funded project in the food category at the time. That's very impressive. <laughs> but let's go back a little bit uh, to the beginnings and sure. then we'll uh, talk about Kickstarter because that's an amazing, amazing story. Uh, so you were born in China? I was born in China and I moved to the States in 94 when I was seven. To go to school, you moved with your parents, that's how it was? Yes, I moved with my parents. My dad was also an entrepreneur and he was in America to expand his business. And where did you meet your husband? Where did you live at that point? Oh, uh, I had just finished college and I lived in New York. We actually lived three blocks away from each other. It turned out we had the same hairdresser. Okay. Uh, we went to the same gym. A lot of things were working itself so that we could meet. He impressed you with mm -hmm. the prototype and you decided that you want to go for it right away, that you want to be building this. What was the process in making those decisions? Oh, it was just go, 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 go. Like, what's next? What's next? What can we do next? What can we do today? We must be able to do something. I mean, it's not, it's not like Rome was built in a day. Namiku wasn't built in a day, but every day we worked on building it. Were you at school at that point or were you already graduated? Already graduated. Okay, yeah. so you, could, you had time you had time to, to do this, right? Yes. Kind of. Yes, well, at the time I also worked for Hearst Corporation, so it was more of a weekend project. 
at what point did you decide to to leave the job? When when we started selling our DIY sous vide kits, I just thought you know we could make we could actually make money from this for me to sustain on, and the reality was we couldn't make enough money. So I also bartended, and mm -hmm. I also waited tables, and I also <laughs> and I also uh, was a barista and a coffee like whatever I needed to do. There were flexible service jobs in New York that I could do in order to support us. You did those first products. How did you find a way to be building it, to be manufacturing it? Well, we had to move to China. We joined an accelerator program at the time called Hackcelerator, the first class. They invited you to go to China. And we did. We lived there. We knocked on doors of factories, found out how things were made. For how long have you been there? We, we, for the accelerator, it was three months. Three months. Mm -hmm. And, And in China? In China, we moved to China for two years when we got our Kickstarter money. So at what point did you do the first Kickstarter campaign? What was your stage at that moment? Uh, in 2012, we had a working prototype that we could put on Kickstarter. How did you prepare for Kickstarter? Did you already have a feeling that it would be a success? Did you have a campaign or marketing and things like that? Or did you just put it out and that's it? Well, there was no professional marketing or PR. Um, we couldn't afford it. I mean, we could barely afford going home on a plane at that point. We were lucky in that we amassed a huge listserv already. So once we told everybody, they came and supported us. Because they had met us in person. Mm -hmm. It's like we had hundreds and hundreds of people. Like I would meet at least five people every day at, in person and talk to them about it. You know, I would search, the I would search Twitter hashtag sous vide. And I'd be like, hey, it looks like you're close to me in New York. Do you want me to come over to your house to build a machine? Do you want one? Because for the cost of materials, I can make one for you. So the Kickstarter went massive. It was three times what you were asking we for? We asked for 200k, the first one, and we got uh, 580k, the first one. What was your reaction to it? Um, I was obviously thrilled. Yeah. I'm, still, I'm still thrilled and very, very grateful, really, because that doesn't... That just doesn't happen to everyone. Yeah. And it happened really on its own? It happened on its own. People picked it up. Well, at the time, you know, like sous vide was seriously ramping up. Sous vide is inevitable, this cooking method, because it's already widely adopted commercially. Like everybody uses it commercially. It doesn't make any sense that nobody at home is taking advantage of it yet. And were you ready for this uh, massive amount of orders? I'm ready for anything. <laughs> I'm ready for anything. Okay, but you had to have a manufacturer in place. Yes, we went. That's when we went to China. Yeah, and we lived there, and next to our factory. But we mm -hmm. couldn't engage a contract manufacturer, a CM as they're called, until we actually had money. You got the money. You started to manufacture and ship the product to your customers. Mm -hmm. Did you have any problems with that? Any you know issues? Any challenges that you were not expecting? Um, I expected that there would be a lot of challenges, but definitely there were, it's, it's weird thinking about it, you know, like we're from where I'm sitting now, because when we faced new challenges, like the first couple, I was like, oh no, this is like going to ruin us. We're not going to be able to ship. But from my perspective now, after shipping two products, I'm just like, so much more steeled towards it, uh -huh. you know? A lot of the problems you never, never really want to 
want to think about like the hard problems that are going to come. But we always had contingency plans and um, we had an issue with our first one where steam got into the unit. And steam and electronics is not good. No, together. for sure, no. Yeah, and we, but we figured it out. It caused a delay, but we figured it out. So it, you found that issue while you were manufacturing the whole batch of products, or yes, we or, found it. Or was it like the customers told you about this? Oh no, that okay. would be terrible. So that would be really, really bad. No, uh huh. Thankfully. So what happened next? You had the campaign successful, you, sh you manufactured and shipped the products mm -hmm. and um, you came to US afterwards? Yes. yes, we came to the United States, we moved to San Francisco um, to do business here. I mean, there's so much great energy in Silicon Valley. There's no better place to have a startup. How do you remember your beginnings over here? Was it easy to adapt or, what, you know, because it's, it was a super new place for you? Mm. At the time, San Francisco rent in 2012-ish, that's, that's when we first moved here, um, rent wasn't that bad. Okay. <laughs> Not as bad as it is now. And we always had a really great support network. So it didn't feel, it felt like actually kind of a vacation from Manhattan. Were you selling uh, the first product anywhere else aside of Kickstarter? We sold it on our website. Okay. And then once we fulfilled the Kickstarter backers, we sold it on Amazon okay. and in retail stores. All right. And, and was it going good? Were people also buying it aside of Kickstarter? Yes. Yes. We definitely had great revenue outside of Kickstarter. People really want sous vide in general. Did you need any extra investment? We didn't need it, but mm -hmm. it definitely helped us grow faster. So how did you get any, any money and raise any money? I think we were lucky in that we went off the momentum of our Kickstarter. People, a lot of our investors, early investors, really understood the space. So they were happy to write us a check. Did you find first investors here in Silicon Valley, in San Francisco? Uh, we did not. We found a few, I guess. But um, our lead investor for our seed round was uh, the people who do, the people who do um, accelerator. Oh, in China? Yes. All right. But they're Irish. Okay. <laughs> okay, pretty complicated, but we get it. Yeah. At what point did you decide that it's, it's a good time to produce second product, uh, you know, to go for, for Kickstarter? And why did you actually want to um, go for the second product? That's a great question. Our first product was our, was our MVP. Okay. So minimum viable product. Mm -hmm. It was just to prove that there is a market out there. And then we got so much customer service thrown at us. Like, what temperature do I use? How much time do I cook this for? And then I, I felt like, I wish we could put ourselves inside people's homes and help them. And the best way to do that, we know, is software. So we wanted to make a Wi-Fi connected device so that you could cook from anywhere, so that we could support you in how you cooked. And further down the line with other products, it can be tied in with a connected home. Um, so that was next. It was the next logical step that we have momentum from our first product. Let's go to our dream. And you were already living in San Francisco. Yes. And did you again go to China or were you doing everything from here? Well, since we learned how to manufacture in Shenzhen, we decided to actually manufacture in the, in the United States in San Francisco and our factories right here on 14th and South Van Ness. 
Uh, is it the best choice, you think? Uh, or are you planning to look for different manufacturers? Are you very happy right now with it? Or? It is the best choice for a, up to 100,000 units. That's the maximum capacity of that place um, before it starts not making financial sense. Up to 100,000 units, it actually costs the same as San Francisco and China. So how many orders did you have out of the second campaign? Um, with pre-orders and Kickstarter campaign mm -hmm. combined, it's a little bit over 8,000. Actually, a little bit over 10,000 now. Tell me about the second campaign. That's, again, incredible. It was also super successful. In triple, it tripled uh, your goal. Mm. And did it again happen just on its own? Just uh, like that? It, take, it, took, it takes very careful planning. Okay. So it actually takes two months of planning. So one month you are you're talking to people and telling them like, hey, would you do this? Like, would you buy this? It's a lot of market research. Talking to bloggers, talking to journalists. And then the second month is making the video. It takes one week to write the script, one week to shoot, two weeks to edit. You guys know this pretty well. <laughs> well, we do, but our audience may not be that aware of yeah, it. So yeah, it, it actually does take at least two months to plan. And that's like the accelerated method. Because traditional PR campaigns, if you engage with a, if you ever engage with a PR house, uh, they will ask for three months just of learning time, learning your voice, figuring the market out. Mm -hmm. So that's actually quite accelerated. And also, I think the biggest thing that really helped us was the initial uh, initial traction from our from our people from the first campaign. So the second video for the second Kickstarter campaign was not your uh, camera person from the wedding anymore. No. <laughs> and um, so again, how did you react to this massive response? Um, I bet you were ready for that amount of orders. Mm. But did you have any troubles uh, along the way? Any challenges? For sure, there were some that you were expecting. But can you tell me anything? that really surprised you and you had a problem to deal with? This time it's uh, actually twice as challenging as the first time because we moved manufacturing back to the United States. You know, there's so much marketing and PR around, you know, make it at home, make it in the US. But what I was really surprised at is that there's no government support. Hmm. No government support, no state level support. Uh, at the local level, people actually just don't care. So you would need to be able to finance it on your own. Correct. But do it here so that um, your country can be proud of it. Right? That's what it comes down to, is uh -huh. that maybe peripherally your country will be proud of it, but when you manufacture in the United States, you, you cannot hope for any help. It has to be because you really want to do it. And you really care about manufacturing in the first place. It has to live inside you. If you're looking for help and you're manufacturing in the United States, you're not going to find any if you're manufacturing a high-tech appliance. It just doesn't happen. So that was your challenge with the, next, with the second Kickstarter yeah, campaign? Yeah, the, the challenge would be manufacturing in the United States where there's no infrastructure, no support. And people don't care beyond maybe telling you that you should manufacture in the United States. So what was really the problem? Was it uh, the budget or was it um, the quality that they were providing you with? Quality is fantastic in the United States because I look at it right there. It's right here. Yes. What it is, uh, there's no infrastructure. So you have to build your own. 
we rented a we rent a large office in order to have our own infrastructure. There's no tools. There's no um, or tooling costs too much in the states. So there, are, and there are some methods or um, electronic components like PCB boards that are just not available in the United States. So you were actually building your own manufacturer. For yes, this. a lot of it from the scratch. Yes, from scratch. Okay. Yeah, and we worked with some vendors in Asia as well. How did it impact your delivery uh, of products? It delayed it. It delayed it. Okay. And yeah. how did you deal with any customers, you know, concerns, comments, and stuff mm. like that? Because I can imagine that you know they they don't really um, get interested in the details. They just know it's delayed and it's wrong. Right. Well, what I can do is I can listen to them. And I can tell them exactly what happened, offer transparency, and that's all I can do. You just have to take it. Like if somebody's not happy, I'm gonna listen to them about why. I'm gonna tell them what's going on, and then we'll move forwards. They have to know that I'm listening. I'm never gonna ignore them. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not scared if you're mad at me mm -hmm. about something. I'm just gonna listen to you. Um, did you already ship all the products that you sold? We're starting to ship right now. Right now? Yeah, from our factory. As soon as they come off the line, they go out the door. And do you think that, um, that this delay impacted in any way, I know, your brand or, you know, number of customers? Or is it something that you can catch up on quickly and, and, and kind of um, deal with it really well? Mm, uh, nobody wants a delay in their product. And certainly we didn't want a delay. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that it's... I don't think that it's gonna break us, mm -hmm. you know. Nobody, okay. nobody's gonna die. Yeah. People, <laughs> people are generally, people are generally extremely patient and very, very considerate mm -hmm. after I talk to them. Mm -hmm. So it's just about keeping, keeping an open ear, making sure that I'm listening to everybody. How many people are you employing? Thirteen. Thirteen people. Yes. And do you have some customer service people to help you with communicating we do. and we do. things like that? Who were your first hires? My first hire was Patrick, and he was definitely customer service and marketing, and he helped us develop our brand because you need to be able to tell your story with your brand. But to me, what brand means is that people look at Namiku, the word, and know our story. And that's what we needed to build from day one. Do you hire everyone here in San Francisco or do you have people around the world too? We have to hire people that I can talk to every day. Okay. We're not that big yet. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes uh, companies outsource uh, employees from different countries so that it's, you know, or, or cheaper or better or things like San Francisco is super expensive. Mm. But that's why I'm asking uh, about this. But. Uh, yeah, it sounds great that you are having all of your team over here. Yes, I need to be able to talk to everybody every day because everything moves so quickly. Mm -hmm. Are any people actually using your newest product, Nomiku product? Yeah, because hundreds and hundreds of people, we've already started to ship. So hundreds and hundreds of people are using it right now. And what's their response? They love it. They love that it clips to the front of the pod. They love that it's so small. Most, the biggest feedback I got is that it's silent. Yeah, people love that it's silent. Obviously, they love the app connecting to it. I see like new recipes every day. It's pretty exciting. And um, tell me about YC, Y Combinator. When, mm. At what point did you exactly decide to apply and uh, how did the process look like? Well, with the advent of our new 
device, we needed some more advice for the company, especially since we're adding a software component. And YC is pretty famous for a lot of great software companies. So we decided to apply um, in winter of 2015. So that was the batch from January to March. Okay, and you had already your campaign um, uh, finished, mm -hmm. succeeded. Mm -hmm. You were at the time, at the process of manufacturing. Yes. Or at the beginning of manufacturing. Yes. And we're always in constant manufacturing <laughs> <Okay>. zone. <laughs> All right, but I mean the new manufacturing. Correct. And um, so what did you tell to YC in your application? What did you tell to them at the interview that they finally approved you? Was it hard or was it pretty easy from what, you know, I could guess? Mm. It seems like you're already so successful that it should be just like that to, to have you in. Wasn't it like that? It was actually extremely difficult. Why? Uh, it was very difficult because <clears throat> there are a lot of successful people like me who apply to YC. I'm like, uh, I had to really prove my character was something that they wanted as a part of YC. I think what distinguishes YC from a lot of other accelerators is that they don't really, metrics matter, numbers matter, but really like they go deep inside your psyche to see how you react to certain things that they say. And I think it was very psychologically unsettling, <laughs> the mm -hmm. interviews, which made it hard. What concerns did they have? Do you remember any? Um, everything was a concern okay. out of their mouth. I mean, it's hardware and software, so yeah. it's inexplicably harder than just regular software. I think they, they'd left no rock unturned. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to go into the specifics because YC is very uh, closed community. Okay. But I can tell you the application, everybody can see it. You, mm -hmm. know, you make a video and then you answer some questions and it goes way beyond just your product or your company as a whole. They really like, I don't know, want to see your soul or something. It's pretty, it can get pretty unsettling because they really are digging deep. But was it the first time you applied that they approved you or did you have to apply multiple times? No, this first time we applied, they approved us. We went through two interviews though. Okay. Yeah, so That's... like when you go to YC uh -huh. for your interview, you can take one interview and they say go home and we'll call you by the end of the day or they give you one interview and then they give you a second one. So we had to do two. Uh, what are your impressions on Y Combinator program? How did it help you? Um, y Combinator program was probably the singular most helpful thing that I've ever done for my company. It made me stronger as a founder. What they do is that they that you can find on their website, so hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn with YC, is that they, they have founders come in every week to tell you like real stories of how they grew their companies and real struggles that they went through, much like this program is doing. Uh -huh. Yeah, and that is extremely... You can, hear, you can hear advice all day long, right? You can scroll through Facebook or Instagram and see these inspirational quotes all day long, but it means so much more and it's so much easier to internalize, understand the context behind advice when it comes from a real person that's lived it. So that is extremely powerful and I think that's my biggest takeaway. Did you help you in managing the manufacturing that was pretty new to you when it comes to manufacturing 
at uh, home. Did Y Combinator help? Yes, I mean with managing it, with, with planning managing. it. Yeah, because that was a challenge, as I guess. Sure, um, they helped, but not directly. Not so directly. They helped in, I think, making us just better people, mm-hmm. uh, better emotionally controlled. Helped us. They helped in focusing our priorities, which definitely in turn helped it. Not di- not so directly as in they picked out people for us to talk to, da 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 da, da. Mm-hmm. but more like, like founder training. Uh huh. Okay, and building your self confidence, right? I'm and not so sure that you feel very confident when no? you go through the YC okay. program. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's great to get in. Okay. You feel good about that for like a week. But you're challenged then, all the time and you kind of feel the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> okay. the, the work, if, if you go into YC, like YC is what you make it. And if you really f- do go through the rigorous YC training program, you're going to work the hardest that you've ever worked in your company. And you have no time to feel like I'm freaking awesome. Although you might have that feeling for a week because you got into there. You're like, yay, I made it, I made it. And then you're just like, wow. <laughs> okay, but it's still a good lesson and it's worth it, I bet. So it's, yeah. it's worth it. It's your, yeah, confidence. I'm not sure why C builds confidence. But, um, so you met a lot of amazing people throughout the YC program. Mm-hmm. Are you still in touch with them? Are you still using their network? I use it every day. Every day. Every day. You're YC forever. The, the intensity program, like the, basically the boot camp is three months, but you, you make connections with your advisors there, and then you can call on them anytime. It's pretty incredible. That's their whole job is to be basically, um, I mean, they kind of approach it with like the hearts of servants. They like serve you now, which is incredible. At the end of the program, there is a demo day, Mm. which a lot of founders say that this was kind of their point to which they had to prepare Mm. throughout the program aside of running the company. Um, What was your expectation on the demo day? how actually did you have to prepare for it? What, what did you have to present at that time? You present a two-minute pitch. Mm-hmm. My expectation for demo day was that it's going to be completely nuts, and I was correct. They put you in front of very, very influential people and VCs, uh, angels, other founders. It's incredibly nerve-wracking. Um, definitely felt like I was going to throw up before I went on stage. Oh, we were the second one up. Did you talk to investors that were present at the demo day? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like a meet and greet. Yeah. And did you raise any money out of the demo day or did you raise any further money after YC? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And YC demo day is there for you if you'd like to raise money. What demo day really does is that it gets you to, exp- it gets you to explain your company in under two minutes. We started this interview. I explained my company in under like 30 seconds. If you have that clarity, then you can do anything. You are running your company with your husband mm. and you have a two-year-old son. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm very interested in how it really works out for you guys. Um, how do you combine the private relationship with running the business with so many ups and downs? How does it work ah. out? Um, everything we do is private. <laughs> There's no separation of, of work and 
of work and being parents. I mean, like, really, nobody cares who I am. I'm not, I'm not Jeff Bezos, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's pretty chill. No, nobody's like scrutinizing our every move. Oh, it's not like I'm like Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, super chill. Okay, but yeah. in between you, you and your husband, mm. you have so many, you know, problems and challenges with the business as everyone has, and especially at this stage. Mm. And um, you have your private life. How do you combine it? And um, do you feel it? You know, do you feel it, do you feel that it's harder to run the company together um, with your spouse or is it actually a blessing? Well, we're really, really lucky in that we started our company at, as soon as we started our relationship. It's not like we were dating and married for years and then we decided to like do something crazy. You know, mm -hmm. it was we're together because Nami Ku happened. So it just feels very natural. For, for me, and I love that I'm never, I never have to second guess what he's thinking. You know, we can talk to each other straight up, like, come here, talk to me about this. Why, 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 why? And we, we're not scared to really get into something. Um, a, or a, we're not scared to get into a difficult conversation because we've had difficult personal conversations. This, this is just the business. Do you talk about the business late at night? Uh, about at midnight. We talk about the business at midnight. We talk about the business at three. We talk about the business when we wake up. We talked about the business with the baby. We talk about the business at the park. I was talking about the business when we were shopping at Whole Foods. You know, on one side, this is good <laughs> because you, um, I mean, working with your spouse is good because you can spend the time with him all the time. You don't have to be, uh, you know, wishing that you would see him more exactly. during the day. That's right. That's, yeah. You hit the nail on the head. We want to spend as much time with each other as possible. And now we get to see each other every day. And I just never want that to change. Well, I know something about it. <laughs> and I'm wondering because, you know, I've had a startup with my husband mm. and we've been we've also been working together before for a couple of years doing video production. And we've been the best team in the world. Mm. And look at this show. We're doing it together again, too. And we felt that it's that we are really a great team. But when, when we had the startup here in Silicon Valley, we had a lot of con uh, concerns and comments about that it's maybe not the best option to be running a startup together as a married couple. It's not always the best option to be a married couple. It's not always the best option to be a woman founder. It's not the best option to be a minority founder. It's never a good time to start fucking anything. <laughs> But you're gonna do it fucking anyway. <laughs> that's okay, what I, yeah. that's how I feel. Yeah, do you, do you tell it to them like this? Did you have any of those concerns? I mean, I, did you? I think some people have worried about it before. Okay. But they can't argue with excellence. They can't argue that it works. They'll see us together, they'll be like, oh, I get it. I mean, you see me here, mm -hmm. I'm extroverted. Mm -hmm. My husband is extremely introverted. We're exact opposites. So That we, match. Yeah, that match. We, yeah. we fit well together. It's like a puzzle piece. Mm -hmm. And then I filled up this mm -hmm. part, he fills up that part. Mm -hmm. If anybody has any concerns, then I think that's just, that's just straight up silly. Yeah, but did you, I'm wondering if you actually met 
you know, investors that... Uh, somebody has mentioned it once. Okay. But right now it's actually quite common. It's extremely common for founders to be married to each other. I can name off uh, Eventbrite, they're married to each other. Mattermark, they're married to each other. Uh, Din, they're married to each other. I get it. It's, it's, it's not actually a new thing. Why do we have our, my last name is Fetterman, right? That's my husband's last name. It's like, I think it means like shoe person or maybe like shoe cobbler. Okay. And back in the day, you would take somebody else's last name to represent your trade, mm. like Smith, right? I'm a Smith. And everybody in the family would be Smithin. That's how they knew you. Like it's an old, old tradition that the entire family does one trade. And we're bringing it back. <laughs> okay. It works well. It's yeah. always worked well. And um, you have a two-year-old uh, son. Mm. Where, was your son bo born in um, China or U.S.? He was born in the U.S. U.S. At home. At home? Yeah. That was your concept? Yeah, I was like, just pop it out at home. <laughs> <laughs> was it really that easy? Uh, nothing's easy. Yeah, it wasn't easy, but um, I didn't want to come home from the hospital. Like my husband recommended it. He's like, why don't you just have it at home? Then you can just go straight to bed. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> Sounds incredible. I'm telling you. I, I, I don't think I would be brave enough to do it this way. But uh, it's good to hear that it was great for you. We're, we're intense people. We just, we're just like, oh, let's do it. How do you manage your personal life or your family life with mm. uh, such an intense uh, growing business. Ah, okay. So <clears throat> I do spend quality time with my baby. I don't need to be like all the time. I do have a big secret weapon that I wish more female founders would say they have uh, or talk about is that I have my mother-in-law that lives with me. I have an extra body that helps us take care of the house and everything. She's like the thread that pulls everything together. I can't do it on my own. Um, nor can my husband. Mm -hmm. So we have help from our family and that is everything. So you're happy of living with your mother-in-law? Yeah. Oh, over the moon. Over the moon. Like, it's not even just like, are you happy or are you sad? It's like, it's necessary. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. I, I will do whatever I can to keep her happy. Cool. And um, so did she come over from New York? Mm -hmm. Hmm. See, everybody, everybody's into the business. Yeah. They know it. Um, so tell me, uh, how much are your products? I saw on the website that... Um, They're $1.99. $1.99, both of them. Yes. Well, the first one is going to get phased out. Okay. It's going to be just Wi-Fi. And you don't have to use the Wi-Fi option if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. It's going to be $1.99. And everyone can purchase it through your website? Yes. And where else? Uh, right now, just the website. What's the website address? Namiku.com. N-O-M-I-K-U.com. Pretty easy. Mm -hmm. So we invite everyone to go to Namiku.com. Mm. That's also where we can see the videos of how the device works. Yes. And I recommend everyone watching it because it's pretty funny and entertaining and simple. Thank you. And um, thank you, Lisa, so much for coming here. It was such a pleasure speaking to you. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Look at this view. Yes, it's week. amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>